Amen. I am glad that you're here. And I want to tell you, I think all of our home folk should give a round of applause for the guests in the room. All right. Let's welcome our guests this morning. We're so thankful that you're here. Um, the Lord gave you hands, use them, right? Amen. Use them for his glory. Uh, celebrate whenever you can. Um, I'm excited that we are in a new series. Um, it is a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, last week in our first message in the series, if you missed it, you can go online and listen to the podcast. Um, you can go onto our website or onto the iTunes store or even others and find it. But we talked about the Holy Spirit being my helper. Amen. He is my helper. Amen. Amen. He's also my friend and he's not weird. Amen. Amen. If you missed that, I think it was a very healthy message for everyone to listen to, uh, to kind of get us off in the right direction because people are weird, but God isn't. Amen. Amen. And he's my God. Uh, so today I want us to dive deeper into the topic of the Holy Spirit. And the question that I want to ask today and answer for you today is this, is he a person? That's the title of today's message. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And the reason why this question is so important for us to answer is because we have got to see him as a person. If we don't, we'll never develop a personal relationship with him. Now, regardless of our graphic that has a little smoke or fog on the, the screen with the word Holy Spirit, he is not just an essence, he is a person, amen? And so the truth is, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. This might surprise you, but Jesus can't have that relationship with you like he would want to because he's not here now on the earth, right? Think about that, okay? But the Holy Spirit was given to the church thousands of years ago, and even before Jesus left, the Holy Spirit was working. In fact, in my research and in my study, you can find places throughout the Old Testament, including in Genesis, that it says the Spirit of God gave wisdom and knowledge to craftsmen in order to know how to build things with wood and metal and all those things. It literally says that. The Holy Spirit can help you in so many ways. He can help you in your wood shop. He can help you with your grandkid. He can help you serve in the church. He can help you know what to do and when to do it. It's awesome when we tap into the frequency that he's speaking on and start talking with him. I was talking to somebody this morning and she said to me, I'm so glad I can still hear his voice. That's something that we ought not lose, amen? Uh, I also looked up some uh, articles from Psychology Today about people who hear voices, okay? We might be in a category of strange people as it pertains to the world, but I believe with all of my heart that God has a voice and he didn't just write the words in a letter, but he also wants to put them inside of us and he wants to guide us by his living and active voice today. I'll say this as a caution though, Anything that you think you hear from God has to be and should be able to be backed up by his written word. Amen. So if we have this thought of generosity or kindness or, or caution or something like that, I'm going to share some places in scripture this morning that might surprise you about the apostles and disciples who were who were literally told and, and resisted by the Holy Spirit, told not to go to a certain place yet. Not because 
the Holy Spirit didn't want those people to get the gospel, but because he had a plan that they didn't know about and he needed to speak to them. So God still speaks. In fact, this past Monday, I've got something to celebrate and I'm going to share it with you. This past Monday, someone listened to the Holy Spirit and I benefited as a result of it. God met a major need in my life this past Monday because someone was willing to listen to the voice of God. A few weeks ago, I put my car in the shop. It needed new tires. It needed an alignment. It needed an oil change. It needed these things. And maybe like you, my wife and I, we live paycheck to paycheck. There's not a whole, there's not like a million dollars in a savings account we just pull from or anything like that. And so I thought to myself, well, if it's a couple hundred dollars, I might be able to eke it out this week. If not, I gave the mechanic a heads up and said, hey, I'll get there as soon as I get the money kind of thing. Don't think I just left the car with you. So anyway, he calls me back a few days later and says, um, it's ready to go. Bill's over $500. And I had a big lump in my throat and thought, oh, I don't have $500 to give you, sir. I didn't say those words. I just said, hey, I'll get there as soon as I can kind of thing. And so a couple people had mentioned to me or asked me, I should say, um, and said, hey, where's your car at? Where's that second car you've been driving? You don't have it anymore? And I said, no, it's just in the shop. It's got some repair work and stuff like that. One of my friends who just moved into town a few months ago, who is a member of another church, um, we were having a conversation and he, um, he said to me, well, actually, I've been looking for a tire shop in town. I don't know where to go. Uh, where'd you put your car at? And I said, Wilson's Tire. I don't know if I can say that. I guess I'll put that online. Wilson's Tire is a good place to go here in Clinton. Um, and so I told him where it was. And, um, and he said, oh, that's good. Because, you know, whenever I need it, I'll, I'll be able to use that shop. Well, I had this weird feeling when he asked me that question. And I just kind of walked away. But I'd been praying a very simple prayer and said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? I, did, I didn't know what his answer would be. I didn't know how he was going to provide. But I, that was a few days later, I got a call from the mechanic. He said, your car is ready. I said, I know, we've had this conversation. Uh, and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Your car is ready and the bill has been paid. Over $500 anonymously paid. I sent a message to, to my buddy and I said, man, good news. I'm getting my car out of the shop today. And I said, and I think I have somebody to thank. And I had this sense that it was him. So I said, thank you for your sacrifice, for your generosity, and for listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what his savings account looks like. He may have made a big sacrifice in order to do that. Anything above $5 is a big sacrifice, amen? <laughs> okay, so $500 out of his family's budget, out of his savings, because he listened to the voice of God. Now, you might be tempted to think, well, that's just human kindness. I mean, people do nice things for each other, right? Not $500 nice things, right? Not for new friends, right? And here's my thought. We're despicably gross on the inside. Every one of us is. We don't think good thoughts without God's help right? Scripture is clear about that. All have sinned. We've all fallen short. We all continue to miss the mark without his help and without his touch of grace. So I say that to say, I am telling you today that God still speaks and I benefited from it this week. Here's the question. Who will benefit it this week? Who will benefit in your life this week? Because you listened to the Holy Spirit. 
He is a person and he does have a voice and we need to listen to him when he speaks. Amen. So what exactly is a person? Here's the simple definition. A person has a personality. (laughs) Okay. I know that's like way, way simple. That's why it's called the simple definition. But let me give you a theological definition, a little bit deeper of an approach. A person is someone, not something, but someone who has a soul. It's, it cannot be an inanimate object, something that doesn't move or doesn't have a life force inside of it like we do as humans, and we understand this. So a person has a soul. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us that both male and female were created in the image of God. And we're made up of three parts. We've got a mind, a will, and emotions. We think with our minds, we desire with our wills, and we feel with our emotions. This morning, it might have been a little bit too much for you, but I hope you'll come back. We celebrate God in his presence emotionally because he's done something good. When I drove to work on Tuesday morning in that car with brand new tires on it, you know what I did? I didn't turn on the secular radio station. I just prayed and thanked God. I had tears in my eyes thanking him about his grace and his goodness to get me to work. I I was overwhelmed by it. And we ought to be. (laughs) You ought to let yourself go just a little bit. Okay, Not when it comes to hair and makeup and clothing. But when it comes to your spiritual, emotional life, you ought to just let go and experience what he wants you to experience. I think for a long time in churches like ours, people have been given to human emotion that has just ended up being fleshly demonstrations of what they wanted. But when I'm up here on the front row this morning shouting like I didn't shout last week, I am understanding God is on the winning team. God's got my back. I may have had to wait three weeks for that car to get out of the shop, but God knew and God took care of it. God's got a will and he's got a mind. So the Holy Spirit wants to help you think like God thinks. He wants to help you desire what God desires, and he wants you to feel what God feels. According to scripture, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of all believers. Listen to what he says. The Apostle Paul writing to the church says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, if we were to rewind back to Leviticus, we've been through a long series in Leviticus this spring and summer, and we just ended it recently. We talked about how God wanted to reside with his people, but he had a box inside of a room that that's where his presence was, and only one person got to experience it. Everybody else got to see it from a distance, but only one person. So now Paul is giving a revelation to the church, and he's saying, do you not comprehend this? God is not in a building made with the hands of a man he is in the heart of those who believe in him so do you not know that you are God's temple and that his very spirit dwells inside of you so literally if I want to know what God thinks about something or about some situation which I've faced many of those before I can ask the Holy Spirit what to do I can ask him what God thinks about the situation I can ask him to help my desires become his desires. So today my goal is not really to demonstrate or prove to you that the Holy Spirit is a person as much because I believe that most of us understand that he is, but I want to show you the benefits of him being a person. 
those benefits are really incredible. Number one is this. The Holy Spirit has a mind. John chapter 16, verse 13, in the first part of that verse, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, which is another title for the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. Well, how could he guide you into all truth unless he knew the truth? (laughs) Amen? Unless he knows all truth. The Bible declares from the beginning to the end, God knows everything. In fact, we've got this big term we use, and it really defines it. It is that he is all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. He knew you before you were born. He knows the day you will die and the circumstances you will die in. Nothing surprises God. My car in the shop didn't surprise God. The lack of money in the bank didn't surprise God. God worked through all of that. I hope you're getting this this morning. That he knows everything. Now this has a good side. And a little bit of a fear and trembling side if you will. He knows what's in your heart. He knows those thoughts that we think towards others. He knows those motives of our heart. In fact, in Jeremiah, the prophet says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. There's nothing more dirty. You thought it was your hands on a doorknob? No, it's your heart on the inside of you. It's your, it's your spiritual heart. So here's one, bene- one of the benefits of him having a mind. You have somebody living inside of you who knows everything. This is really impressive. He knows everything about everything, and he's committed himself to be your teacher. I'll never forget, um, as a child, I used to ask my dad, I don't, how, how many of you as parents had kids, or maybe you are the teenager or college student who was this way, who asked a lot of questions? Anybody? Mm-hmm. I was that kid. And I'll never forget, um, I'd ask my dad some questions, and whether those answers were correct or not, he always gave me an answer. And at some point, I was kind of baffled by this, and I said, some of you are looking at dads in the room, and I said, Dad, how do you know so much? You know, I was getting a little bit older, and I, I felt like, wait a second, every time I ask him something, he knows the answer to it. And this is what my dad, who is a preacher, said to me, it's easy. I know him who knows all things. Now, regardless of whatever answers those were, and regardless of whether they led me in the right path in that moment or not, at least that was the answer he gave me. And I'll never forget that. It stuck with me all throughout my adulthood that he knows all things. And if we have him inside of us, then we can tap into that strength and into that power and we can get direction. We can get guidance. We can get knowledge that we wouldn't read in a book outside of the Bible. We can know what God wants because he has a mind and a desire to share that mind with us. He's our teacher, and the Bible says he'll guide us into all truth. So look at what 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says. It says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So number one, he has a mind. Number two, he has a will. You and I have a will. And if you have children, you know they have a will as well. And it usually stands in opposition to your will. 
right? Or a grandchild, okay? The, the, if the shoe fits, right? By the way, we had an awesome parenting uh, small group this past Wednesday. It was incredible. We had parents and grandparents here. Um, you should be here this Wednesday. It's not something that you have to buy a book and you've missed several chapters or something like that. It's a good time together. We've got great food. We put it on Facebook and put the meal train on there so you can sign up to bring something. I think this Wednesday is casserole Wednesday. So you can bring something like that in a dessert or something you bought is fine. But the reason why we come together is because when we're together, we grow together right? And so we started growing this past Wednesday as we launched this parenting small group. We've got opportunity for kids ministry and for teen ministry every Wednesday night through the fall uh, outside of some holidays and things like that. But it's really important that you understand that God has a will. And this week we heard this Wednesday, we heard about God's will for us as parents. And we discovered that together. See, people have wills and God has a will and we get to choose. I was watching a video recently about a magician who was doing some sleight of hand and some tricks and he gave people a dart and they threw it at a board that had careers on it. These were some high school or college students. He took the dart and he, he gave it to them and he said, throw the dart and whatever it lands on, that's what fate has chosen for you. And he asked them this question, do you believe in fate or do you believe in free will? And some of them were kind of wishy-washy in between and well, if fate designed it, I don't know. Anyway, when they hit the mark on the target, there's like 20 or 30 items there to pick from. When that dart hit it, he flips the board around and he had already written the same word that they hit and he freaked them out because it said fate has chosen nurse and that's where their dart landed. Now it was just something that was comedic and that kind of thing and kind of freaked them out. But here's the deal. It's not about fate. It's about faith. It's about faith in a God who knows better than I know, who has a will that stands in opposition to mine, but instead of me fighting for my way and fighting for my right, if I would just submit humbly and bow before him and accept his will, I would be so much better off. All of us would be so much better off. Here's an example of a Holy Spirit's will in scripture. Go with me. The, the scripture verse will be on the screen. Acts chapter 16, verse 5 and 6. It says this about the beginning days of the churches being built. It says, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Figeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Let me just tell you, it's because God is a racist and he doesn't want Asians in heaven. Hello, you should be looking at me weird, right? If you're listening, no, that's not why God didn't want them to go there. There was something else at play that they didn't know about. The kingdom of God is every culture, every tribe, every language speaker. And it's a beautiful thing. Look around this room. It's beautiful. The kingdom of God is going to be awesome. And God is not, in case you didn't get the joke, he is not a racist. Okay? And you shouldn't be one either. He says here in his word in Acts chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit, Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. Have you ever forbidden someone of something? You've probably been forbidden of something. Do not do this, right? We've heard those words before. To forbid means to exercise your will, right? That's the moment that you are saying, don't do this. So he exercised his will over them. They went to Asia at a later date, but the Holy Spirit didn't want them to go at that moment. 
So what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to help you not do or not go to in the moment you live in, even if it's a good thing, right? We've got to be thinking in line with scripture. If you would like to know God's will for your life, you've got to get to know him on a deeper level. We talked about some spiritual things this week in my Bible classes at CCA. Ended up talking about some things that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, where it says these are the fruit of the flesh, but these are the fruit of the spirit. And it lists out these things. And one of those things of the flesh is sorcery. Talking about, you know, uh, dabbling in things that are in the spiritual realm, but not redeemed by God or not God's desire for us. And people started saying like, hey, is a Ouija board okay? Is one of those magic eight balls okay? And I thought, and I, and I said this to them, why would you do any of that when you've got access to literally the king of the universe who created it all, who has a will, and if you just said, God, what should I do in this moment? And listened and maybe shut up long enough, <laughs> complaining about whatever you're facing, and just say, God, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm waiting on you you'd hear what he wants you to do. God's will is incredible and he wants you to know it. It is not a mystery to us, or let me say it like this, it will not always be a mystery to us. We face moments where we are undecided and we don't know what to do. And maybe you're in one of those moments today, but God has a desire to expressly show you his will. So how can I know God's will? That's what my students asked me this week. That's what people have asked me all the years I've been in ministry. How can I know God's will? There are two ways that we can know God's will. The first way is the general will of God. The general will of God consists of his word. So we've got his word. His word tells us how to live, how not to live, what to do, what not to do. And we can find the general will of God inside of scripture. The second way is the specific will of God. And that is his voice. Because he is not silent. Why would he create us as talking, communicative beings? if he wasn't going to communicate with us. In fact, Genesis says he communicated with them regularly in the garden until that moment of sin occurred and they divided the space between us and God. And then it says that God chose specific individuals throughout the Old Testament history to hear his voice and to be trusted to communicate that to the people. And then Jesus comes and when he leaves, he says, I'm giving the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give my voice to all of you. But, I say this because there are some weirdos that want to say, well, God told me, "Mm, if you can't find the principle of what you believe you heard in God's word, you cannot do it in good faith knowing that it's God's will. You've got to make sure. So here's an example. College students, you want to know about marriage? The word of God has a lot to say about marriage. Hey, hey. Okay. It has a lot to say about marriage. The truth in God's word can change your marriage. Amen? Some of us married folks have experienced that change and know that. This is what is the general will of God. Now, the specific will of God, you won't know whom to marry by flipping to a page. 11 years ago, I didn't flip to a page that said, one day Dexter will marry Amy Smith. No, I didn't do that because I couldn't find the specific will of God inside of that for me. And here's the thing. The point is this. The specific will of God for you is going to be different than it is for me in a lot of cases. So I've got to be tuned into the frequency that he speaks on. 
So in order to uncover this, we've got to hear his voice on the matter. So what job should I take? What house should I buy? Where should I live? How do I specifically parent my kids or encourage my children who now have grandkids for me? How can I do these things? This is the stuff that you need the Holy Spirit's help with. Amen? So if you want to know another example, if you want to know how to pray, you can see it in Scripture. Jesus says, here's a model for prayer. We see the Psalms. We see all of those things that is actually in God's Word that says this is what, uh, how you should pray. But if you want to know what to pray, you have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you helping you. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is a really popular verse, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But here's the deal. That verse has been so misused and taken out of context, just that single little place. We don't even understand what the context is, but let me read to you the previous verses that show you what it's about. In verse 26, it says this, likewise, the spirit being the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Somebody shout, amen. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes or prays for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit prays or intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the way I can know the mind and the will of God is to get to know the person of the Holy Spirit who's living inside of me. Maybe y'all haven't talked in a while. And maybe today is the day that you need to open up that conversation. I don't think that there's a whole lot of guilt that should be there in our hearts today. I think there should just be an action step forward, amen, that says, God, I haven't been right, but Lord, today, I'm going to choose right, amen? So he has the mind of God, and he always does the will of God, the Holy Spirit. Number three is this, the Holy Spirit has emotions. If you look at Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23, or the first part of 23, it says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these fruit of the spirit are characteristics of a person, right? Of a person. So if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, he wants to produce these fruit in your life. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says this. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now we said he has a mind and we know he has a will. And now we're talking about the emotional side of God. I want you to think about that for just a moment. And we're gonna take it in piecemeal or little bite-sized pieces. He has emotions. We have to think about it like this. If you've ever grieved, how many of you have ever grieved because you've lost someone or something? More specifically, someone, right? We, we can be upset about losing our phone or losing keys or something, but when it comes to actually losing someone that we've loved, we experience grief. The Bible just said in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So how could we grieve the Holy Spirit? How could we make him grieve and experience that emotion? Well, if you look at verse 25 of the same chapter in Ephesians, it says this, therefore having put away falsehood or lies, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Stop there for a second and think about this. God is okay with you being angry as long as you don't sin in your anger. As long as you don't hurt others and hurt yourself. It's okay to be righteously angry. Jesus flipped tables over in the temple because he was really, really mad. And that was an understandable thing because they had done something wrong to God's house. I get mad when stuff doesn't go God's way in God's house. There are things that we can be angry about, but it says don't sin in your anger. It goes on to say this famous phrase, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Look at verse 27. It says, and give no opportunity to the devil. College student, grandparent, parent, Whatever stage of life you find yourself in, do not give opportunity to the devil. Well, pastor, I don't talk to the devil. I don't know what opportunity he has. Well, he has a voice too, and he's got people working for him and things that he would like to do in your life. Don't give him an opportunity to be the voice in your heart. Amen? Because those two voices will not stay in competition. They immediately flee. From each other. Okay, the Holy Spirit wants to reside and He wants all of it. And the enemy, He wants to come in and take all of it. So don't give opportunity to the devil. We can give opportunity to the devil with the things we say, with the places we go, with the people we're in relationship with. So so stop it. Amen? Verse 28 says this let the thief steal no longer. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. He wants to help you know the words to say, and he doesn't want you to be mean when you say them. I was preaching to me and he doesn't want you to be mean when you say him. Sometimes I can say things that are fast and abrasive and harsh and I've got to have the Holy Spirit help me. I, I celebrate those moments that I give him full control and I want that to happen more often. Don't you say yes, pastor? Yes, for you. I want you to have more of those moments. Amen. So verse 30 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31 gets into some other things. It says this, let all bitterness, let all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That would be, that would be a person who stirs up trouble just for this, the fun of it. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So you ask, how can I grieve the Holy Spirit? You can have him experience that emotion of grief if you commit sin. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit because we have a spirit that's been redeemed by God. It's been paid for with the price of Jesus' blood and he wants us to live holy and righteous before him. He lives inside of us, but when our mind sins or our hand sins or we do something, it's grieving to him. I don't believe that we lose our salvation for, you know, just a, a white lie, a sin like that. But I do want to say that I believe with all of my heart that we lose our intimacy with him 
when that happens. He's keeping a record. I'll put a smile on your face. It's okay. He's keeping a record. I know that's hard to take, but we've got to hear that and understand this is the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit knows that he's going to see you again as a believer. He's going to have eternal fellowship with those who are genuinely saved. But when we walk in sin, we cannot have intimacy with God. Your pastor has walked in sin in moments of my life. And I've experienced that feeling of disconnectedness and knowing that it's, it's a hard pill for me to swallow, but knowing that it's not on him, it's on me. We've said this throughout the life of our church. We've said, if you start to feel like you can't hear God's voice or you don't sense his presence, it's not on him. It's on us to come back to that place. In fact, that's what he tells the churches in Revelation. He says, go back and kindle that first love that you had again. He's talking about reignite, spark that flame again, because it's you who walked away. It's not I. So that word needs to be heard this morning. So if we've grieved him recently, it's on us. But he's forgiving, and he's good, and he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's long-suffering with us. Amen? He's so full of love towards us. He says, listen, if you'll just confess your sin, if you'll just repent and walk away from that thing, we can be reconnected just like that. So if you feel like there's a place where you need to regain intimacy with him, choose to stop grieving him. That's easier said than done. So the truth is that the Holy Spirit has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotions. I want the worship team to come and join me. At the end of our service, what we do, we call it a worship encore. We have the worship team come up and they sing another song and they lead us in worship. And it's a time for us to just respond in God's presence. Maybe you've never thought about the Holy Spirit in these ways. And today you say, you know what? I'm just going to pray a simple prayer and say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I haven't thought the truth about you. I thought you were a weirdo that I didn't want any part of. But God, I want you in my life. Maybe it's you're facing a decision and you don't know what to do. And you could say just a simple prayer that says, God, I'm trusting you with this decision that lies in front of me. Maybe it's something else entirely different. Maybe it's that there is a loss of intimacy because of something that you've been doing in your heart, in your mind, in your life with a person, to a person. Maybe it's that you've been struggling with something that you can't let go. Verse 32 that we read a moment ago in Ephesians says this. It says, let all bitterness and anger and all of that stuff go. In the presence of God, right here with his people. I stop short of saying it's a magical place, but I will say this, it's a miracle place. Being in the presence of God and with his people, there is a peace. Amen? There's something that surrounds us. There's a healing that can take place today in our minds and in our hearts. And every week at the end of our services, we stand. And I'm going to ask you to do that right now. And we just whisper a simple prayer and we say this, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Now, you might say those words or you might already know what he spoke to you. He didn't interrupt me by speaking louder than me today to your heart, but he did speak to some of us in our heart, and he's, he's put his finger on something that he wants to handle 
or maybe he wants you to handle with his help. And so, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to your church today? Whatever it is, we commit to honor your voice. Lord, I pray over these people today that you would help us to regain intimacy with you where it's been lost. God, that you would help us, that you would help us to regain and reignite that flame. Lord, today that you would help all of the falsehood just melt away from our hearts and our minds of the past teaching that we might have had about you being weird or you wanting us to do weird stuff. And God, today, we just open ourselves up to you because you're trustworthy and because you're true and you lead us into all truth. So Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Before they sing, I want to encourage you. At this prayer station on this wall, there's a little table, and over here is a little table and a prayer station. Church is a great place to get prayed for today. I'm, I'm going to turn my mic off, and I'll have a private moment with you. I'll pray for you if it's a financial need, if it's healing that you need. We believe God is a healer, amen? We believe he uses doctors and medicine, but if you're struggling with something or someone you know is, and you say, I just want to pray for my mom today, then we'll do that. We want to pray for you, whatever it is. And by all means, if it's something where you say, I just want somebody to pray with me to, to help me hear God's voice even clearer, we want to pray for you as well. So as they begin seeing Pastor Grant's going to go to this station, I'm going to be here at this station, and we'd love to pray with you. At the end of this song, I'll come back and I'll close in prayer, but just respond in his presence today in whatever he's asked you to do.